Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing CIC issue number 122, The Gospel as the True Armor of God. You can find that article at the website CICministry.org. Now, if you're following along on the PDF, we are at the bottom of page three. And I'm going to read for us Ephesians 1.18, and then Bob has some comments to make about that. And we're going to continue our discussion about how God uses trials in our life. So here's Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Right. And so the topic about the armor of God is found in Ephesians. And early in Ephesians, we're told that the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And we've been discussing the issue of the church, the one new man consisting of believing Jews and Gentiles as God's lot or God's inheritance. Okay. Now, we've talked about that a lot, but I don't think it's very widely known or discussed, but it's very clear in the Bible. And there are many, many implications of us being God's inheritance. The one we've been talking about a lot is the fact that we're safe. Right. God is not going to lose his own inheritance. We're his possession. We're his people. He's going to perfect us. He's going to keep us. And this all will be to the praise of his glory. So that idea, last week we talked about the trial of our faith and some of the trials that all believers go through and how that is also discussed in Peter. And we looked at 1 Peter 1 last time. And then also we see the idea of trials in James. But the confidence we have is based on the idea that we're his inheritance. We've covered that a lot. So we, uh, as I said in my article, are in the sphere. uh, There's a dative in the Greek, and it means we're in the sphere of his inheritance, and we're part of his lot. His lot is his people. So that's very important. And so we asked this question last week. Where's the safest place to be as far as inheritances go? Is it with God or in the hands of man or Satan or the hostile powers? We want to be in the hands of God. God will protect his own possession. Yes. Amen. A key idea. And that should be comforting. But we also mentioned and have been mentioning that amazingly, this is a minority view amongst popular teachers in Christianity. It sure is. You do not hear this being taught. It, it is definitely a minority view. Well, that's why we're being so careful in our exegesis to show you this really is what the Bible teaches. Yes. The majority view is that we are under curses going back three or four generations, possibly, or based on 
what may have been done in the house we now live in but before we even owned it, or based on some uh, people with bad motives putting curses on us, or our ignorance about the presence of demons and our need to get revelations about what demon is doing what, or our need for a deliverance minister to, to break the curses and cast the demons out. We've talked about that. Yes. And that is more prevalent and sells more books than what we're talking about. But what we're talking about has one important thing going for it. It's what the Bible actually teaches. Amen. And that's really where we need to stand. Scripture alone. And furthermore, it's not that the passages we're covering, such as the entire book of Ephesians, particularly the part about the inheritance, about light, about conversion, about the armor of God, and the other passages we covered. We talked about Job. We talked about the trial of our faith. This is all biblical material that was written to people who lived in a world that was full of fear of bad faith. They believed in curses. They had shamans. They had religious processes. They weren't in some um, world of enlightenment rationalism that doesn't believe in the demons. Right. Okay? And that's where these teachers, teachings came. And so the false narrative given by false teachers like C. Peter Wagner in his work, I, he's no longer in the scene of history, was saying that, well, our problem is we don't believe in the interaction between us and the demons. They call it the excluded middle. There was some guy who wrote some papers about that who had been in India and noticed how they interacted with spirits. And then the guy did some teaching at Fuller and See, Peter Wagner picked up on it and see, our problem is this excluded middle. We don't interact with the demons enough. Oh, or we don't no, think no. there are any interactions or whatever they're accusing us of. And so Wagner ended up hooked up with this new apostolic reformation and using this material from this poly bear to justify what they're doing, but totally ignoring that the biblical writers certainly knew about demons and curses and whatever, and tells us about where we are vis-a-vis -vis the hostile spiritual powers, the, the spirits in the heavenlies, the, the rulers and the powers and all the different words used in Ephesians in the Greek to describe them. And his answer wasn't, well, you don't interact with them enough, or you don't know the secrets of how to bind them, or you don't know how to uh, thwart them so that you can cast them out of Christians. He said, no, what you need to do is believe and stand. In fact, all after right. all of this material about the wrestling and so on, he says, therefore stand in the imperative in the Greek. With that in mind that we're commanded to stand. Don't, don't go looking on the internet to find the latest greatest deliverance counselor or prophet or apostle but stand in the promises of God. Why? Because we are those who belong to God. We're his lot, we're his inheritance. And the trials are not signs that we're still cursed. Quite the opposite. They're evidence that we really are God's people. Amen. Now to that end, we didn't quite last week 
totally get to the the last verse in 1 Peter 1. We were doing 4 through 7. Okay. And I had printed out the Greek here for those that weren't with us last week. And let me kind of walk through that. Okay. And I'll look at some of these Greek terms and then define them. Okay. We talked about in order that. So there's the purpose. The proof of your faith might be more precious than gold that might be destroyed through fire, but being proved, dokimazo, there's the verb form, it might be found. Now, here's what I want to deal with here, and then we'll go over to James. Okay. It might be found for the praise and glory and value, time means honor or value, at the uncovering or revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the Greek is saying there. Okay. So there's a purpose for all this. And it's not that we didn't know how to break the curses or ignorant about demons. It's that God is going to refine us and that our faith is more precious than gold and that we will prove to be to the, his, the this work of grace that refines us will be to his glory and honor. And we will participate in that at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you want everything now, well, then you don't want to hear this. If you want there to be no trials or testing, well, then, then you're, uh, you've got some very serious problems if you're a Christian because trials and testing do come to Christians. They do. Okay. And therefore are good. They don't seem like it at the time, but God is using them for our good. Right. And so there's one other passage, and that was in James 1. And Jessica wanted to go through that. James 1. Do you have that in front of you, Jesse? I sure do. I'll read verses 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Right. So here is telling us that we should rejoice. Consider it all joy. Now, this is counterintuitive. How many people consider it joy when the trials come? We don't. No, Honestly, we, do we don't. We wouldn't do that unless we had good reason to think there was something that God was doing through them that was going to be for our benefit. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. But James is telling us exactly that. And so the only way, dear listeners, that you're going to consider it joy or, or I will or any other Christian is that we have truth from the scriptures telling us that we should do that and then giving us the reason why we should. Yes. Does and we need sense? to believe it. Right. So the reason we're sharing this isn't to sort of let you down and say, well, you're just going to have to be miserable. No, we're telling you that God is doing a gracious, powerful, important work in your life. And he is working in order to bring praise to his own name and to refine you that you might reflect the brilliance of what God is doing by perfecting a people and sanctifying them. Okay. Okay. So we're wanting 
to help all of us together as believers to consider this joy. Notice he says, consider it all joy, brothers. You're using it to mean brothers and sisters in Christ, believers, be they Jew or Gentile, the one new man, Ephesians 2.15. In fact, he call, James calls them his brothers. When do we consider it joy? When pressures, and we talked about this last week, parasmas, parasmas. I printed out from a complete word study dictionary of the New Testament that I have my logo software, what that word means. Trial, temptation, a putting to the test, when spoken of persons. Then it says when God is the agent, prosmos is for the purpose of proving someone, never for the purpose of causing him to fall. If it is the devil who tempts, then it's for the purpose of causing one to fall. So in the context, God is allowing this not to cause us to fall, which is what Satan would love, but proving that our faith is truly genuine. Wow. Amen. That's what that word means yeah. in James 1 and verse 2. Pressures allowed by God for the purpose of proving that what we have here is not fool's gold, but genuine gold, and actually indeed more precious than gold. Wow. So really, we have Paul and Peter and James all telling us the same thing. We are his inheritance. We are precious. We are being refined by fire. God is at work in our trials. He is going to preserve us. We are protected. We need to stand. Right. And so the, the, the idea is to stand. And why do we emphasize this? Why do we say it several different ways and from several different verses? Because we're telling you what the, most of the Christian teachers are not telling you. In fact, we are saying they're telling you falsehood. Yes. And do not articles flee. Do not listen. Don't believe them. They're Stand making, firm in the word of God. Right. They're making themselves to be more like shamans than any type of valid Christian ministry. Yes. They're teaching you how to interact with the world of the spirits in order to somehow gain the outcome you're looking for. Yep. Now it's using pious talk and some of the people that do the most of this are pietists. They portray themselves to be more pious than the rest of us dolts or just ordinary Christians. Right. But that's why we can't just go by taking a poll of what most popular teachers say. We need to dig down into the word of God. We need to be Bereans who search the scriptures to see these things are true. Yes. Well, that's why we're doing this right here. I'm taking this right out of the Greek, translating it, showing you the context, showing you that it applies to the very situation we're discussing. And you won't hear this from the popular faith teachers. Never. No. And so if you want to be popular, there's great big mega churches that will tell you what you want to hear. But it won't do you any good if it's not true. Okay, so we're supposed to rejoice when we have trials, not break the curse 
and cast out the demon. Yes. Now, continuing with James, before we get back to the article and in okay. Ephesians, why should we rejoice when we're under these sort of trials that God allows Christians to go through? Verse three, knowing that, uh, here's our, another word that we saw also in Peter, dokimon, which is proof, and it means tried and proven to be genuine. Okay. Okay. Tried and proven to be genuine. So often I use the illustration of Judas and Peter, and I also did, I think, last week. But it's very important one, and I think people get that one. Yeah. Judas ran off and didn't come back. Right. He left us because he's not one of us. Okay. Peter was full of sorrow, but Jesus had told him, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter wrote 1 Peter 1 that we studied last week. Peter knows about trials. He had gone through the trial, and he'd even temporarily failed and denied the Lord, but he was brought back. Yes. And emboldened and became a powerful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. And he wrote inspired scripture. So the issue is here, the proof of your faith, dokimon, tried and proven genuine. So this is a means of proving it. So God allows trials to prove that your faith is genuine, not because God doesn't know the heart. He does. Not because God doesn't know whether we're a Peter or a Judas, but that we would know. Okay. Okay, why is that important? Well, if we don't run away like Judas and give up and say, it's not worth serving God, it's just too hard. If I, if I go back to the world and do things their way, I'll have lots of friends. All my old drinking buddies will often welcome me back to the party, mm -hmm. all kind of stuff. I could just go with the world. But if you have genuine faith, you can't do that. Right. Because it's grievous. And you believe that, no, this is heading for hell. This is not right. We can't go this way. And God has promised that if we believe him and trust him, this faith is genuine. We can stand and it's going to be proven genuine. And it's going to be the, to the praise of his glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. And that's exactly what it's saying. And so by studying this, we're seeing this explained by Peter, by James, by Paul. So this is proof uh, that God is at work in your life. And then what does it pr produce now? You might say, okay, I can believe that I'll go to heaven when I die. Now, people mock that, by the way. Have you heard people mock that? Yes. A it's... lot. Oh, what a stupid, <laughs> these stupid people all they think, well, I'll go to heaven when I die. What a dumb thing. Yeah, well, that's true, but it's worthless. Really, what you need to do is change the world now and be masters of your own universe or whatever it is their agenda is. Well, by the way, being with the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that ought to be mocked. Right. So don't listen to people that talk disparagingly of eternal life. Secondly, there is a very important virtue that comes to us 
through these trials now before the revelation of Jesus Christ, while we're still here in this life. And that's revealed okay. in James 1, 3. The proof of your faith works patience. Now, patience there in the Greek is hupomene, pretty cool word. Meno means to stay put. Hupo is a prefix and a, a pawn. So patience means that you stay put right there, no matter what goes on or how bad it gets, because you will not cease trusting Christ, confessing Christ, believing Christ, and knowing that he has a, a work that he's doing in your life that's good. It's for his glory and our benefit. So one thing that we gain now is patience. Yes. And well, it takes time. Yeah. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates that endurance. Endurance. Hubomini, remain under. Yeah. Stay there. And well, what good is it to have patience? Why don't you just change things? Well, frankly, when God's allowing us to go through the test, it doesn't change just because we want it to change. No. Because but that God, also doesn't mean we can't pray and ask him to change it. Well, we talked about that in previous episodes in this series on issue 122. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul asked for a thorn in the flesh to be removed. Yes. The answer was no. My grace is sufficient. Right. So that he would know that he would not be exalted because of his many revelations and that God's grace was sufficient. So we know that it has a purpose. Yes. And when God reveals that, like he did to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, it was for Paul's good and God's glory. Yes. For your good and God's glory. Why do we need patience? Because we're still living in a fallen world. And the world isn't trying to help us have faith in Christ. No. It's no, it's faith. trying to destroy our faith in Christ. They hate us. Yes. Nuts. Why don't we get with the Marxist agenda out there? Why are you, why are you naysayers? Well, because right. of what God said, not what man says. So, but is there any future good for having patience? Verse four in James one, two through four. But patience, hupomene, it's that word again. Uh, when the work of patience is complete, that's that word teleos, which means come to a perfection or to an end. You will have that work and you might be complete. So the purpose clause here, hina, that's a purpose clause in the Greek. You might be complete using that word again, teleos, and lacking nothing. Holy call, there's a word there again, a kleros, by the way. Wow. I just look okay. at Greek. Yeah. Kleros would be God's lot or portion we talked about earlier. And then there's a holokleros, uh, excuse me, holokleros, um, holy grounded and called and part of this inheritance of God and you're not lacking anything you'll be complete at the revelation of Christ and his glory 
Wow. Is that, is it Philippians one that also tells us he will complete the good work he began in us? That's a good reading. That's a good cross-reference. That's exactly right. So mature and complete. I, it's interesting that word, I, I hadn't looked that up. I was just looking at it in the Greek right here. It has that kleros as part of the word. I'm not saying I'm an expert on the significance of that, but I find it interesting. But it's all for our good. Yes. Now, this is a totally different perspective than what you've probably heard if you went to the various meetings, bought the popular books, and so on. Ask yourself this. Is this biblical? Should we believe James 1, 2 through 4, 1 Peter 1, 4 through 7, or 3 through 7? Are we going to believe that? And does it really support what we learned in Ephesians 1, 18 and Ephesians 6? And does it really comport with the book of Job and what we learned in Deuteronomy and what we learned in all these other passages? And is there a coherent worldview here? And I say yes. Yeah. These other teachers are pulling out proof texts out of context and creating a worldview where you're the master of your own destiny and you need knowledge and power to make things work out the way you want. And God's not even trying to help you because he thinks you got to, if you don't uh, speak the word, as they say, and say a positive thing or do it that way, then God won't help you because he just turned it all over to you. One of those worldviews is biblical, but they both aren't because they're contradictory. Amen. And so we're giving you data from the Bible to show that this worldview is from God and it's scriptural. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. We want to remind you that you can access this program and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. And we want to remind you too, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. Bobby Wade. We'll see you next week. Yeah.